It is a statement perhaps you are familiar with. If you are, just fill in the blank. To err is human, to forgive divine. To err is human, to forgive divine. The cross is the cost for our forgiveness. The cross is the cost for our forgiveness. In Matthew 26 and verse 28, Jesus would say, This is the blood of my New Testament shed for many for remission or the forgiveness of sins. And in 1 John 1, 9, listen to the Word of God. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us all our transgressions. And the blood of Jesus, there's the cross, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. As someone who loves Jesus, we must both appreciate being forgiven by Jesus and seek to practice the forgiveness that Jesus wants us to practice. And that may well be one of the hardest aspects of being a follower of Jesus. The issue of forgiveness. I believe that one can go to condemnation. One can go to the bad place because of a failure to forgive just as one can go to the bad place because of a failure to believe in Jesus. Did you hear what Shad was reading in Colossians 3.13? To forgive even as Christ has forgiven us. I'm not always very proud of my track record in that one. Are you? Clench your fist for a moment. Take your hand and make it into a fist and and just hold it tightly. Hold it tightly. You know, the longer you do that, the more strain you feel. And you can do it for a minute and it kind of gets uncomfortable. But if you keep your hand in a clenched fist tightly... For minutes, certainly for an hour, you're almost going to have to take your other hand to get your fingers and pry them apart. I believe that the clenched fist of resentment and bitterness can often result in self-paralysis when it comes to forgiving. So much so, a person may say, I'll never forgive. 
Well, a person who makes that kind of blanket remark needs to stop and think. Because if you cannot forgive, if you refuse to give, to forgive, to, if you refuse and are just completely reluctant to even have anything of the Spirit of Jesus, you better never need forgiveness yourself. Everybody loves forgiveness until we are the one who has to extend it to someone else. Because we have been violated, we have been hurt. The sermons for today were suggested by you people in the pew about six months ago now. And when I saw them, I realized how true it is with all of us. We all need a lesson from Jesus on forgiveness. And we all need a lesson from God's Word on forgiving ourselves. And that's tonight's lesson. Because forgiveness is such a difficult issue. We do not want to be soft or light on sin and its consequences and how it impacts lives on crime. And yet at the other side of the coin, God is not soft on sin or crime. And yet he stands ready to forgive and to pardon abundantly. I don't know about you, but I find that one of the hardest things to do in my life. When you think of forgiveness, think of the, of the forgiveness of God as the voice. He sends the word and the word makes forgiveness possible. And isn't that wonderful? Our forgiveness. That's the voice, the word, Jesus. But the way we connect and the way we seek to relate to others can be the echo. Do you hear me, Steve? God is the voice who through the Word makes our forgiveness possible, but we as people who belong to Him should echo that forgiveness in how we relate to other people. And so this morning, I'd like for us to ask four questions about forgiveness. Four questions about forgiveness that I think will help us to be serious about sin and how it hurts, and how it violates, and how it may even take away somebody's life. And yet, how Jesus forgives. Here's the first question. What does forgiveness really look like? What does forgiveness really look like? look like? I want to give you three pictures of forgiveness from the Bible. The first one is Genesis 50 verses 15 through 21. Open your Bibles to Genesis 50, 15 through 21. In this passage, we have the example of Joseph. Joseph had been mistreated horribly by his brothers. They had thrown him into a pit. 
They had thrown him into this pit and sold him eventually to slavery, thinking that as time would go on, he would be a broken man and probably dead as a young man. And then they go back to their dad, the brothers of Joseph do, and they say a wild animal must have killed him. And years and years pass, decades pass. And during that time, Joseph knew what it was like to be enslaved. During that time, he knew what it was like to be imprisoned. During that time, he was unjustly treated by others and it would have been so natural for him to go back and say, this whole time in my life and my mistreatment began because of my brothers. And now in Genesis 50, he is one of the highest ranking officials under Pharaoh. And he has every opportunity to return with vengeance, the mistreatment. And his brothers are afraid because they know who he is. He's he's revealed himself. After years, they wouldn't have even recognized him. From a young man now to a man, how things have changed. How the tables have turned. I look at the story, and you know, sometimes we put our anger and resentment and bitterness in the deep freeze because revenge is best served cold, you know? We pull it out and let it thaw out on somebody. Does Joseph do that? Maybe we think about the indebtedness and we take the bill, we take the note, the obligation, all the things they had done to him and he rips it up in front of them, but he keeps the wastebasket with the pieces in it. And sometimes he pulls it out and he glues the pieces together. Did Joseph do that? His brothers are throwing themselves on his mercy. And here's one of the things they do. He says, they say to him, to Joseph, our dad, our dad Jacob hoped you would forgive us. And it was his dying wish that you do this. I don't have any doubt it was. Because imagine finding out what your own flesh and blood had done to another person who was your flesh and blood. The hurt and the pain. And you know what Joseph's brothers say, and it's probably smart of them, we are your servants. Well, that's probably pretty good of them to say, and they better think that way because their life is in his hands at this point. And you know what Joseph says in this picture? He says, what you did, you meant for evil. But God somehow used all of this for good. And at this point in history, I am here to help you and to, and 
to bless you and to bless my people and to honor my God. What a picture of forgiveness. I think Joseph is one of the greatest characters in the Old Testament because of his ability to forgive. Secondly, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verses 16 through 18. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 16 through 18. Here's a second picture of forgiveness and this time it's the apostle Paul. Family forgiveness being shown by by Joseph in Genesis 50, even when they were not acting like brothers or family. Christian forgiveness exhibited by Paul in 2 Timothy when people aren't acting very Christian. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, Paul writes, At my first defense... No one stood up for me. Paul is in Rome. Brother Bill's their church in Rome. There are quite a few Christians in Rome, one might think. Where were they in Paul's trial when the judge asked, is there anybody who will say a word of commendation on the accused behalf? Not one person stood up. Could Paul have been resentful about that? Hey, Roger, I imagine he could have said, you know what, I was always there for him. I was always there for this person. I was always there for that church. And when I really needed them, where were they? Does Paul say anything like that? Quite the opposite. He says... May this not be held against them. What a spirit. When Christians maybe didn't do what they should have done. When they didn't follow through. It's his humble request that God not hold this against them. It's as if he understood, you know, I could understand the difficulty of it all in front front of Rome, in front of the tribunal, in front of a judge, and all of the, the stigma that might have been attached had they stood up for me. And he thanks the Lord that the Lord stood by him. When we can see the grace of God in our lives to a degree that we will be forbearing of people who let us down, we're beginning to see the meaning of forgiveness. Finally, the third picture. The third picture is the picture of the father of the prodigal son. Luke 15. In Luke chapter 15, you know the story. Some people are lost out of ignorance, like a lost sheep. Some people are lost out of negligence, like the lost coin. 
Some people are lost out of rebelliousness, like the prodigal son. He goes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance. Basically, I wish you were dead. I don't want your rules. I don't want to be under your roof, but I would like your money, and I'd like it now, my inheritance. Somehow, everything about that makes me a little ticked off, doesn't it, you? Especially those of us who are parents. And yet the father somehow, with great fortitude, not weakness of character, but fortitude, allows this son to have everything that he wants. And he goes and he lives his life for a while without his father. And he realized he came to his senses how hard life was without his father. And how it was difficult to find real friends because when his money was gone, his friends were gone. And the story is one of the most tender in all of Scripture. When he makes up his mind to go home, probably with his garments and rags and with the stench of the pig pen still on him, and he makes his way home while he's afar off, the father sees him. And violating all protocol and decorum for the time, he runs out to meet him. An old man runs to meet a rebellious son. And there's a celebration because what was lost is found. What was dead is alive. When you look at the story of the prodigal son, the father does not minimize or ignore what his son had done. But he values his son so much and longs for his return, he meets him with compassion and grace. What pictures of forgiveness. I wonder if some of us are more like the older brother than the father. Read Luke 15. Secondly, what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Having looked at what real forgiveness looks like in these three pictures, and there's a lot to take in and think about just from these three pictures, what is forgiveness? I want to talk about what forgiveness is, and then I want to look at what forgiveness is not in order to be fair. What is forgiveness? Basically, three elements are involved in forgiveness. Here's the first element. To set free, to release, to set free or to release. The second element. A debt or obligation to set free or to release from a debt or obligation third element 
that caused me hurt or wronged me. To set free or release from a debt or obligation that caused me hurt or that wronged me. Now I'll come back to what God does through Jesus. He sets us free from a debt and an obligation that we never could have repaid and we have injured and wronged our relationship with God through sin. Have we not? So these three core elements are involved in forgiveness with God. Ephesians 1.7, we have forgiveness, we have redemption of our sins through His blood. Now think about this in terms of relationships with others. Forgiven by God is the voice. It comes through the word, Jesus. A willingness to practice forgiveness of others is the echo. The echo. Understand this truth and then we'll look at some things that forgiveness isn't. Ultimately, forgiveness comes from the character of God. Ultimately, forgiveness concerns God. Whether I do something to someone else that I shouldn't, God's still in the picture there, isn't He? His will was violated as well as another person was hurt by my violation of his will. Ultimately, forgiveness takes place with God and from God's character. But forgiveness should be practiced by those who belong to God. And we seek to reflect his character. What forgiveness is not... Forgiveness is not ignoring or minimizing sin, the hurt, or the wrong. Did Joseph do that in Genesis 50? Did he minimize their sin or wrong? No. Did Paul do that in 2 Timothy chapter 4? No. Does the Father do that in Luke 15? Not when you read the passage very closely. So, forgiveness is not ignoring or minimizing sin. Secondly, when we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is not forgetting. I hear hear it just like you do. Forgive and forget. When God forgives, He chooses not to remember. And there's a huge difference. God has a perfect memory. But He deliberately chooses not to remember our sin anymore. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 7 through 13. 
And it may be that in our case, someone has sinned against us and we may use that occasion, betrayal, the pain, the injury, in order to minister to others. I believe Paul did that with his own persecution of Christians. Nobody was a better comforter of those that were hurting than Paul because he knew what it was like to inflict hurt on God's people. So it's a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Sometimes we think of, I just don't feel like forgiving this person. And while forgiveness does involve a lot of emotions that are conflicting, forgiveness is a choice. A choice. It was a choice that was made in the mind of God before this old world began for Jesus to come. It's a choice you and I can make. And we have to deal with the emotions that go along with it. Again, forgiveness does not mean that there are no consequences or boundaries. Some people love the idea of forgiveness because they think it removes all consequences or boundaries. It does not. Had the prodigal son still wasted his inheritance and it was gone? Were the consequences? He was going to have to live with his older brother. Were there going to be consequences of him coming home? Would there be consequences with Joseph's brothers in Genesis 50? Sometimes one of the hardest consequences to deal with is the high price of forgiven sins. David was forgiven when he committed adultery and committed murder. But he lost a child as a consequence of his sin. And God told him about how death, how the sword would not depart from his house. And David would have to remember the sad consequences of a sin that he committed, but be thankful that he was forgiven. It is better, listen to me friends, to deal with earthly consequences of sin than to deal with eternal consequences of sin. Point in time and process. You know, some people act like forgiveness can just take place. Boom, just like that. And while it's a choice, a choice that one can make to release or set free from a debt or obligation that caused us injury and hurt, that, that wronged us, while we can make up our mind to do that, it may take time and it may be a process in practicing it, you know? 
So it's not good to think of it as just one and done. There is a point in time in which you choose to forgive, but it's also a process. And sometimes as we wrestle with our pain and our wounds and our scars, maybe we're going to have to wrestle with them until the Lord comes back to resurrection day. But if that will make us more like our Lord, okay. That's part of what we are discussing. Number three, why is forgiveness so hard? Why is forgiveness so hard? We've looked at what real forgiveness looks like. We've looked at what forgiveness is and isn't. Why is forgiveness so hard? Here's why. Because it hurt. What someone did hurt and it wronged us. It was wrong. I think we can all say we've experienced that. Can I get an amen there? If you've never experienced it, I guess you're not like most of us. But if you've been hurt and wronged by somebody, it can be very hard not to be bitter and not to be resentful about it. Secondly, why is forgiveness so hard? I think it's because we fear the process. We fear the process. You think that Joseph's brothers feared the prospect of having to stand before Joseph? You think that the son had any doubts about standing before his father? He knew that his father was a good man and would make him a servant, but he had no idea how good his father really was. And listen to this one. How about Paul? When those Christians didn't stand up for him, and he wrote this, it is a comment in Scripture to their everlasting shame and to the everlasting credit of this man of God. When he says, the Lord lay not this sin to the charge. That brings me to the third. Let me, let me elaborate a little bit more. I need to. This idea of the process, in the process... We all have a responsibility in the matter of forgiveness. If we are the offender and if we are the offended, right? We have responsibilities. And forgiveness is hard when you are the offended. And forgiveness is hard when you're the offender. Because of responsibilities. Pride. Acknowledgement, remorse, regret, repentance. It can be hard. It's also hard here because 
not just its responsibilities, but its vulnerabilities. I don't want to forgive him. I don't want to see that person ever again. Somewhat natural to say something like that. You know why? Because you've been vulnerable before somebody and now you've been hurt and wronged. Isn't that right? And I don't want to be vulnerable around him again. And those that are the offender, the sinner in this, they have to be vulnerable and say, I sinned against you. What I did hurt you. What I did wronged you. And at the time I was selfish and I was hard-headed and I was rebellious and stubborn. Responsibilities and vulnerabilities, number three. When it comes to forgiveness, forgiveness is hard. It is so hard. And I'm going to tell you why. We so seldom see it practiced and modeled in life. Forgiveness is hard because we so seldom see it practiced and modeled. Now, if you have, good, wonderful, I'm so thankful. And we've certainly been able to experience that forgiveness from God in Christ. But it is something we seldom see modeled and practiced because it is easy to be resentful and bitter over injuries and wrongs committed against us. And forgiveness says this. I am going to release the offender by releasing the resentment and bitterness I have and laying this matter at the Father's feet. I know what the Bible says. Sometimes, and I know that there are Christians in churches, maybe some here at Westside that do this. They'll say, I'll forgive them, but I won't forget what they did to me. And and they use that as an excuse to be resentful and bitter. And all that does is clench your fist and harden your heart. And it's a self-inflicted paralysis that makes you tense and stresses you out. You'll rarely hear this said. I've heard people called good givers, that they were really generous and giving of their money, themselves, etc. I think that's wonderful. It is great to be around people who are people who are full of thanksgiving and gratitude. That they can give God thanks in every circumstance because they can see something of God's grace and goodness. That's marvelous. And there are Christians who are like that that you know. And maybe a picture of of the face of one is going through your mind right now. But I suggest that it is very rare... For us to have someone in our mind that we would say they are a model of what it means to forgive. To forgive. Now we can always look to Jesus, can't we? But maybe more of us should pray 
that we might be a better example to others of what it means to forgive like the Lord. No resentment, no bitterness to model this well. Open your Bibles to Matthew 18 and we'll close with this passage. What happens if one refuses to forgive? Not going to do it. You don't know how wronged I was and how bad I was hurt and injured. No, I don't know. But God does. And I don't believe that anyone has ever been more injured than a holy God by sinful man who's the epitome, the apex of his creation made in his image. So no matter how injured or wronged you are, it does not begin to compare with how wronged God has been by us. This is the story in Matthew 18, 21 through 35 of the unforgiving servant. Remember that in this passage, a man owned, he owed 10,000 talents. It would be roughly the equivalent of the gross national product of a lot of countries. He owed 10,000 talents to his master. And he pled with his master to forgive him. And the master set him free, released him from the debt or obligation, even though it was at great cost to himself. And immediately this man goes to somebody that owes him a hundred denarii, a hundred days' work of money. A guy who owed a debt that he could have never repaid goes to a guy who owes him a debt that most people could easily repay, maybe a third of a year's salary. And he grabs him by the throat and chokes him and he says... I won't let you go till you pay me every last cent. Here's the picture. Look, if you will, at Matthew 18, 34. When we refuse, not going to do it. Again, we're not minimizing or neglecting sin, anything like this. We may be delivered, notice verse 34, to our tormentors or jailers. We may be delivered to tormentors or jailers. You see that in verse 34? I believe there's a lot of people that are in torment and that are imprisoned by tormentors right now because of issues relating to giving and to thanksgiving and to forgiving. Resentment and bitterness especially torment them. Pain torments them. It imprisons them. Secondly, we give Satan an advantage. I have given him enough opportunities and advantages in my life and I don't want to do that, do you? 
to give the devil an advantage? 2 Corinthians 2, 10, and 11. He seeks an advantage over us, and by not even desiring to forgive somebody who owes him little compared to how much he's been forgiven, for sure. He's giving the devil an open door to operate in his life. Number three. This gets strong, but maybe it should. We are inconsistent and put ourselves in the position of God and Master. We are inconsistent and place ourselves in the position of God and Master. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. The Master had forgiven him of a great debt... He inconsistently puts himself in the position of Lord and Master and demands that he be given now what he deserves. Is that man qualified to be God and Master? Is he? I'm not saying that the man doesn't... He's he's got money owed him. I'm not saying he doesn't want it back. I'm not even saying that the guy who owes it won't pay him back. I am saying, is the man being kind of unreasonable here? Come on now. When the Lord, his master, has forgiven him such an inexhaustible debt that could not be paid. That's why when it comes to forgiveness, we better be careful. Because we can be terribly inconsistent... And we can put ourselves in the position of God and we're not qualified. Now notice Matthew 18.35. If we refuse to even try to forgive, that I'm going to just be resentful and bitter. I don't want to even have anything to do with this person at all. I don't want to ever be around them again. If I'm going to do this then we cannot experience the grace and forgiveness of God. Look at verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I don't know about you, but this lesson speaks volumes to me. I want the forgiveness of God to be the voice. And I want to echo in my practice what God has done through Jesus. Thank you for listening. And tonight we'll talk about forgiving yourselves. Forgiving yourselves. It may be that there is a person here today who needs God's forgiveness. Forgiveness ultimately is a God matter. It's based on His character. And because of Jesus, you can be forgiven and know that He's forgiven you. Respond in love and humility to God in faith, 
in repentance and turning around in your life. I want to turn around and go the right way and in baptism. And at the point of baptism, sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. Acts 22.16 If you haven't come to Jesus, why delay, why wait? Forgiveness is available and forgiveness is God's definite proof that He cares for us. Maybe there's a brother here or a sister that sinned against another brother or sister. Maybe you've had a hard time forgiving. Join the club. But I want to be able to release and set myself free as well as the person who hurt me. It may ultimately just be between them and God. You know, not everybody that does us wrong comes to us and makes things right, do they? But we have to desire not to be resentful and bitter because that will poison our souls. If you need the prayers of the church, we would be so humbled and happy to pray with you. Remember what I said at the beginning? Let me close with the same thing. Some people will go to the bad place not because they don't believe in Jesus. They do. They'll go to the bad place because they refuse to forgive. Don't let that be you. Let's stand and sing.